0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at VineyardCampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, well, hey, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to continue our series on the story of the Bible and the reason that we're looking at the story of the Bible is because human beings are storied creatures. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, but it's how we make meaning out of everything that's happening in the world. We only have a certain amount of data that we can receive, like the, the limitations of our physicality mean that we're always being overwhelmed by what's happening. There's always more happening than I'm aware of. Uh, and then in addition to that, there's always more happening than I can actually hold in any one moment. And so even at a biological or physical level, my body, it's, it's paying attention to certain things and it's largely ignoring other things, which at, at, a, at the most basic level, that's a story. You know, this, a story is not everything that happens, but a story is something that happens. And then beyond just our own physicality, you can work your way up into philosophy or, or something even a little higher. What you see is that we do, we do in the world what our bodies do quite naturally, what our brains do physically, our, our whole person does with our existence in the world. And so what we do is we take all the events and we arrange them into some kind of a story because the story is telling us, and hopefully the people that we're connected to, uh, what, what, what does any of this mean, Right? We're always, always, always assigning our lives around stories. Uh, this, is the why, this is the reason why you love stories. It's the reason why I love stories. It's the reason why people love to watch Netflix. It's the reason why we love to read books. It's the reason why, like, The Mandalorian is awesome. Isn't it? Listen, can I tell you all just, like, true confession here for a minute? Um, I think Star Wars is kind of terrible, oh. right? I think, it's, I think it's pretty lame, okay? I'll just be honest. Like, like, it's so uninteresting to me. Like, I've watched them, super uninteresting. However, Rowan and I started watching The Mandalorian. It's amazing. And I'm thinking, why wasn't the rest of it that cool? Like, if you can make, if you can make the series this cool, why aren't the movies this good? Like, The Mandalorian rocks. It's an amazing story, right? And Baby Yoda's amazing. Like, he's better than old Yoda, He's incredible, right? This is the way. I, I mean, I love that. Whatever that is, I love it. But it's the reason, like, we love, we love these things. We love stories. We love movies. We love books. We love, we love, we love telling people stories. Uh, it's one of the reasons we love comedy. Like, comedy is a really funny story, like, reduced and distilled to its most essential elements, right? Like, how many of you know that, that the main truth tellers in our society right now are actually comedians, There's a lot more, there's a lot more truth happening, like at a comedy club than a lot of churches sometimes, you know, like just go see Dave Chappelle and you'll be like, wow, this guy's not joking around, but he kind of is, but he's kind of not human beings are storied creatures. It's what we love. But one of the things that we've also been talking about in this series is we need to have, we need to have a grip on the story of the Bible, because it's entirely possible that our values could get hijacked by a, by, by a less meaningful story, or it's entirely possible that, that the goal or the telos of our life could be hijacked by some other story, you know? And if you live in America, uh, one of the things that we're always dealing with is we're dealing with the American story. And so here's what's entirely possible. You could end up at the end of your life, becoming a very good American and being a bad Christian. Or you could become a good Republican and be a bad Christian, or you could become a good Democrat and be a bad Christian, or you can live into like your family story, whatever that is. Some of us have great families and like you could lean into your family story and like your family story just shapes everything. And by the way, how many of you know that your family story is shaping everything, right? Like go to therapy, you'll find out. It is. But then also you'll find out too, some of, some of the people who are in this room right now have had like traumatic experiences, maybe traumatic experiences uh, in your family or maybe like traumatic experiences just growing up or maybe it was on the job. I'm talking about not fake trauma. I'm talking about real trauma. And unless you deal with it, unless you can see the story or the meaning that you made out of the trauma, you will carry that along with you Uh, Forward in life, you you will you will basically shoot the telos or the goal of your life through the trauma always, and then instead of living into maybe the Jesus story that you really want to live into in your heart, what you'll live out of is the trauma story. You know how many of us have done this? Like we've all done this. This is why we need to have a grip on the story of the Bible. Like we actually need to have the story of God deep, deep, deep in our hearts because it it has a chance of replacing every other story. It, it, could, it could actually cause us to live into something that's true and everlasting and isn't going to go away. And so we've been trying to get our hands on what is the story of the Bible. And today I want to look at one passage in particular, and I just want to talk to you about Exodus this morning. Does that be all right? This is a big part of the story of the Bible. Exodus. Somebody say Exodus. It's fun to say. Here's what Exodus means. It means means a road out. This is a huge part of the story of God or the story of the Bible. It's like a road out. How many of you have ever been in a moment in your life and the thing you needed most was a path out? Yeah. If not, you might. So you might want to pay attention this morning. And I want to talk to you about Exodus, exits, or a road out. And Reese, I don't know that I put these in the right order for you this morning, But I want to read the longer passage out of Exodus chapter 3. Are you all right? Let's just start here. We're going to read one little passage and then we may bounce around a little bit, Reese, but I'm going to do my best to tell you where I'm at, okay? Good job. Here we go. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the Lord, your God, your father. uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites now live. Look. The cry of my people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. I want to talk a little bit about Exodus this morning. And if you grew up in church at all, you probably know this story pretty well. But I want to catch us up a little bit. In fact, I'm going to have to do a lot of storytelling this morning just to kind of like get us in the right space. But if you know the Bible, maybe you know a little bit about the story of Moses. And if not, here's essentially what happens. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. In the first book of the Bible, that's Genesis. After Abraham, we read that little bit about Abraham last, last week. After Abraham, all kinds of things happen. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has some sons. Jacob. Jacob has some sons. And finally it comes out to Joseph. And when Jacob's alive with all of his sons, he actually has a slightly bigger family. Uh, A famine comes on the land. And in order to survive, they leave, they leave this place where they've kind of settled in Cana and they go to Egypt because there's food down there. And in fact, and in fact, Lots of stuff happens with Joseph in particular, but the one son they kind of like threw away ends up being their rescue. You guys remember that? And Joseph works out a deal with Pharaoh and says, Hey, here's what we'll do. If you'll just let us, if you'll just give us a corner, we won't cause you, you guys any troubles. And so Pharaoh gives them a little bit of land and they called it Goshen. And it's like everything that was amazing kind of happened in Goshen and there. Uh, there, the Hebrews or the Israelites, they just exploded in numbers. They just, they did so well. Like everybody's family just grew and grew and grew. And and at first everybody was happy, right? But Exodus, it opens up uh, in chapter one and it says this, uh, then one day Joseph died and what happened? Nobody remembered Joseph anymore, right? And all of a sudden you have all these descendants of jo- Joseph and Jacob just like, Uh, increasing in numbers and one day Pharaoh goes out and goes we got a lot of people over here who are not our people and they're getting really numerous and they're getting really strong I'm concerned right so the Egyptians are like you know what there's a threat over here it's this like side project that we let in for a little while we're worried about them so here's what we need to do we need, to work them, we need to work them really, really hard. Uh, that, way, that way they don't come up and take us over. And you know what? If we're going to work them hard, we may as well build some stuff. So uh, let's just have them build our projects for us. And so the Egyptians came in and enslaved them and worked them hard. But here's what's weird. The Bible said the harder that they worked the Hebrews, what? The more populous they became, the stronger they became. So Pharaoh's like, I'm going to work them hard. And they just became stronger. Right, and then, in the story it says, okay we got to do part two so pharaoh says i 'm not just going to work them hard, but we need to kill all the boy babies. right? How many of you know that when a society starts talking in infanticide, uh, something is really, really off and by the way that 's part of this part of this story is like, what do nations do that 's part of this story that I want you to see this morning. Uh, the other part of the story I want you to see this morning is. How do nations get their power? Like one of the questions that the Bible is asking right up front, even in Exodus is like, how does a nation become so strong? And if they are so strong, where did the strength come from? And did someone else have to pay the price for someone else? Like, these are the things that really matter to God. And so Pharaoh's is like, you know what? We can't work them. So let's just kill the boy babies. And like, there's a lot in there, by the way. It's not just, it's not just like we want to, Uh, decrease their strength, but there's all kinds of things in there. It's like, okay, let's get rid of some of the population. Uh, Let's, let's take their strength away from them. But if we're, if we're killing the boys and leaving the girls, then what? Well, if you read between the lines, here's the, then what Uh, we'll, we'll intermarry them or, or we'll just rape and oppress them. Right? Because that's what cultures do. So right in this story, you have infanticide, uh, you have the oppression of women, you have slavery. It's all right up front, and the thing that God is asking is, how do nations get their power? Right? It's it's right in the right in the in the in the marrow of this story, and so and so part of what happens is, well, part of what happens is. After this edict goes out to kill all the babies, you get what I would call early rumblings. So in chapter one and chapter two, there's all these early rumblings for what God says he wants to do in chapter three and does in the rest of the story. So Pharaoh says, let's kill the boys. But the Hebrew midwives do what? They're like, we're not killing the boys. Right. They don't do it. And this is really an amazing part of the story. Like all these questions, like how do nations get their power? How do they maintain their power? Well, anyway, they're like, well, let's kill the boys. And right in the middle, right at the beginning of this story, there's this early rumbling and it's the resistance to Pharaoh's power. And the first resistance to Pharaoh's power doesn't come from Moses. And it doesn't even come from the lips of God. It comes from Hebrew women who will not kill the boys. So the first person who disobeys Pharaoh are the Hebrew midwives. It's like, it's like, who are the heroes in the Bible? Oftentimes it's not the first person you see. Like this is also the story of God. Oftentimes in the Bible, it's the women and it's the people who are most disempowered who are the heroes. And so in chapter one, it's the Hebrew midwives. They receive an order for Pharaoh and they do not do it. Like sometimes you got to get in good trouble. You know, sometimes you got to do something That's the opposite of what you've been told. Sometimes we think when we come to the book of Exodus, uh, we think that the famous part is like Moses, or we get a vision of Charlton Heston and he's holding the stone tablets, right? No, the first Hebrews, the first heroes of this story are the Hebrew midwives. They disobey Pharaoh right at the beginning. Uh, It's the first time that he's defied. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff there, but it's also a note about where the kingdom of heaven comes into contrast with the kingdoms of this world. Uh, And and the places that the kingdom of heaven comes into contrast with the kingdoms of this world are are this. At every level, at every single level, there is kingdom contrast. It's not just epic moments of deliverance when you're walking on dry ground with water all around you. It's also intimate moments of bravery and defiance. Uh, This is what kingdom people do. Like people who have pledged allegiance to Jesus will oftentimes be defiant to the kingdoms of this world. Not just in epic moments, but like intimate tender moments, even having to do with things like childbirth and and the tenderness of babies. Right. Like the hero, the, the heroes of this story are actually all around us. That's part of the story of God. Kingdom people are living out. Another story. And so there's ripples of Exodus right up front. Like, we're not, we're not going to do what the Egyptians are telling us to do. Okay, so then you fast forward. One of the babies that's born is Moses. And the midwife is like, I'm not going to kill him. So I'm going to hide him for a while. And then all of a sudden, you can't hide him anymore, and she builds the basket. Y'all remember that? Build the basket, and she puts Moses into a river, and she floats him down to some of Pharaoh's people. Y'all remember this? And Pharaoh's daughter uh, finds Moses and she pulls him out of the basket, out of the water. And this is actually what Moses means. It means drawn out of the water. You know, I love this. Like there's so many echoes in this story. So Moses' name means drawn out of the water. So that at the beginning of his life, he's taken out of the water. And later in the story, he's going to walk through the water, right? He's going to be drawn out of the water, not by Pharaoh's daughter's hands, but by God's hands himself. Like there's this story all over him. And so Moses comes to live in Pharaoh's house, even though he's a Hebrew, he grows up like an Egyptian, eats the best food, has the best education, can speak all the languages, knows all the culture, knows all the customs. And he lives like this his whole life, his whole life. And then one day he wakes up in chapter two, Moses wakes up and he's probably an older guy than you think he is. In fact, some Bible scholars think he's probably 40 years old when Moses wakes up. But somewhere around 40, Moses wakes up, and here's how he wakes up. He sees, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and treating him harshly. And what does Moses do? He snaps. And he can't live like this, right? He's probably learned his story from some from someone somewhere along the way someone probably told him hey i drew you from the water you're not actually an egyptian you're a hebrew but you live here you know whatever and but but it was lodged in his mind and he sees this egyptian beating a hebrew slave and moses is like no and all of a sudden that kingdom contrast comes in again right the very the very hebrew midwives who delivered him. That spirit is on him. It's the spirit that cannot look at injustice and let it go. And Moses goes out and he tries to take things uh, into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian who's beating the Hebrew slave. Right. And, and, and all of a sudden Moses becomes afraid, probably 40 years old. And he runs out of Egypt into the desert of Midian. Okay. As soon as he gets out into the desert of Midian, right away, more more ripples of Exodus are at work. you know he 's out there it 's the middle of the desert, and he finally finds a well and when he goes to the well, this is in chapter two. when he goes to the well, uh, he finds some girls there they 're the daughters of Midian or the daughters of Jethro or rule, depending on how you read it there 's two different names there and and while he's there, he sees these other shepherds come and run these shepherdesses off, right? They're like, the, the boy shepherds basically come in and are like, you girls get out of the way. We're going to feed our flocks. Get the heck out of here. And what does Moses do? Moses loses his mind. Why? Because Moses cannot handle people being treated poorly. And he jumps up and he's like, no. You're not going to run these girls off. They were here first. They can, they can water their flocks. By the way, that word water is like a big deal in Exodus, right? He's like, they're going to water their flocks. And some of the girls go back home. They tell their dad, they're like, hey, we got rescued today by this, this guy. And, and the dad was like, well, why didn't you invite him to dinner? So they run back and they get him. Anyway, one of the girls becomes Moses's wife. But one of the things I want you to see here is that Moses is embodying something that God wants to speak to. So even when Moses can't live with Egyptians beating Hebrews and he kills them, you know, Uh, even when Moses cannot handle uh, men shepherds running the women shepherdesses off, there's something at work. It's there's like rumblings of Exodus already happening. And that's what shows up in chapter three when I read it to you. God calls to Moses from the burning bush. He calls to him and he, and he says some stuff to him. And by the way, the things that God says to him happen to be things that are already deeply resonating in his life. Like what is, what is the kingdom story? Oh man, it's, it's we meet God and we find out things that were already at work in us. Like God was already at work in us before we recognized his voice. Reese, can we go back to chapter three? Can we put up verse seven? This is the stuff I really wanted to talk to you about this morning. God verbs. I Had to tell you all that other story because I wanted to get to this. Look at what the Lord tells Moses. Like this is the story of the kingdom right here. And in, in a couple verses, the whole story of the kingdom is right here. God says to Moses, look at the verbs. I have certainly what? Seen. seen. And what has he seen? He's seen the oppression of his people. Look at the second verb. I have what? Heard. I have heard their cries of distress. Another, another good way to read Exodus is look at every single time the word cry shows up. This is, It's unbelievable. He says, I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Uh, Yes, I am what? Aware. Aware. And then, next slide. Verse eight. So I have what? Come down. There are four really important verbs that just show up here. And this is the, like, what is the Exodus story or what is the kingdom story here? It is the God who sees, who hears, who is aware and who has come down. And what is God really keenly aware of? Oppression. Like the thing that gets God's attention really quick, the thing that gets God's attention, uh, the thing that he sees, the thing that he hears, the thing that he is aware of, and what will cause him to come down? When people are treated poorly. This should cause everyone to like take pause. You know, like what is the kingdom story? The kingdom story is that there is a God in heaven who sees, who hears, who is aware and who will come down. God sees oppression. He hears cries and he comes down to rescue. Uh, The very thing that Pharaoh insulates himself from, God will not. By the way, one of the things, one of the things that just happens in life, not just to pharaohs but to anyone who 's rich and powerful, the rich and powerful, the more rich and the more powerful you become, the more distance you get away from poor people and and, and, and uh, the very things that oftentimes give you the power or the riches that put you in the seat you 're in uh, this is this is Pretty normal, by the way. And it happens in all kinds of ways. Ways that are uh, definitely sinful and then ways that, that feel less sinful to us. Like things that we're less aware of. But one of the things that riches and power will almost always do is it will separate us from the very people that God sees, hears, is aware of, and will come down for. And so the, all the ways that Pharaoh got himself a little distance God sees it and he, he will not allow the distance to clog up his ears or his eyes. What the, what the rich and the powerful distance themselves from God will not. Uh, The uncomfortable truth, God knows it. Not only that, but he's moved by it. And even now God is moved. Uh, There's a reason why this story that we're looking at this morning, there's a reason why this story has so much current in the black church of America. Like, like if you, if you hang out with African-American believers, the Exodus story is profound. Why? Because they know what it means to be oppressed. And what, what you really need when you're oppressed is you need a God who sees, who hears, who is aware and will come down. And this is the reason why it should give us all a little pause. Uh, we, We need to be aware of this. Something happens to us as well when When what God sees begins to be what we see. That's part of what I'm hoping for this morning. One of my dreams here at the vineyard is that the very things that God sees would be the things that we see. And the very things that God hears would be the things that we hear. And the things that God is aware of, my dream is that those would be the things that we're aware of. And the things that God comes down for in terms of rescue, it's my dream that those would be the things that that we move out for uh, to, to help with rescue. This is not just an Exodus story. And I also want you to know this. This is not just a 1960s Martin Luther King story. It's current. Uh, Right now in America, God is seeing, hearing, and coming down. The question is, can I see it? Or have I been co-opted by another story to the point that I'm blind to the things that God is looking at? How many of you know that you can know another story, or you could be co-opted by a story and end up being blinded to the things that God sees. You can know another story and be co-opted and be deaf to the things that God is hearing. Yeah. That's why we need the story of the kingdom. Well, here's the good news this morning. Jesus wants to set you free. The Exodus story this morning... It's a story happening on two levels and it requires that we read it on two levels all the time. Story happening on two levels. Uh, It's a word to us and it's also a word to the world. A word to us and a word to the world. It's a word to the systems of the world that oppress. It's a word to everything that stands in the way of justice Every system that is excluding or taking advantage of some folks will be judged. That's part of the kingdom story. Like every single system uh, in America, every single system in the world, every single system, whether it's close to us or far away from us, every institution that pushes some people down so that someone else can get a leg up, uh, it will be judged. God sees it. He hears it. He's aware of it and he will come down. There, there is a sense in which uh, this justice word, it is, it is global uh, and it is an exodus word and it is, it is a key part of the kingdom story. And by the way, this world is full of those kinds of systems. Uh, you don't have to look hard to see some of what God sees and hear some of what God is hearing. You know, you can look around. You could even go to Campbellsville and see some of what God sees and hear some of what God is hearing. You know, uh, here's just a few things and we can make a bigger list. Like here's some, here's some things that would upset God that, that are close to us, like payday lending. Can I tell you something? It's demonic. God will judge it. Like taking advantage of people who need, needed a, a pay, a paycheck advance and then giving them a loan. But the interest is like 25 or 30%. There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called Usury. And it traps people. It's actually a system of entrapment. And by the way, this happens all over America. None of that is a friend to the poor. That's about, a tra- that's about trapping the poor and someone somewhere getting really, really rich on the back of people who were desperate and had a car breakdown and needed 250 bucks to fix a tie rod. And then all of a sudden that person is trapped maybe for years. You know, that's just a little thing. And we just drive by those all the time, right? Like, but that's something that God sees and hears and knows about. It is not okay. Uh, The difference, the differences in incarceration and sentencing between white people and people of color, especially as it relates to nonviolent drug offenses. This is, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. You could be a person of color, and if you have a cocaine offense, man, you are going to jail for a really long time. And if you're a white person and you get a cocaine offense, your, your sentence is going to be radically different, radically different. And all, by the way, all of this, you can find it on .gov websites. This is not even stuff you have to go looking at. at something that's highly political. Just go to .gov. You'll see it. It's, it, is, it is a major dis, difference between how white people and people of color are sentenced in this country for nonviolent drug offenses and God sees it he hears he's aware and he will come down or how about this during a global pandemic billionaires got exponentially richer while the poor bore the weight that's a huge problem like the richest dudes in the world while we while the world was like how are we going to do this stuff right like, how are we going to pay, pay our bills while, while so many people here in Campbellsville have been wondering, how am I going to pay my rent? You know, and by the way, we definitely know because the phone always rings here. The phone always rings while people were trying to figure out how to pay their rent. When people in power were telling them, you can't go to work. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, billionaires got exponentially richer. What does that say about the system? Something's wrong. Something is wrong. This is to say nothing of sex trafficking. By the way, sex trafficking isn't just something that's happening out there in other countries. Like it's here. It's literally here. This is to say nothing about things like sex trafficking and and human trafficking that isn't just out there, but it's here. I want you to know something, church. God sees it. He hears it. And he's coming down, and he's looking for partners. He's looking for partners. By the way, that's a big deal. When God says, "I see, I hear, I'm aware, and I'm coming down," the next section of the of the dialogue between He and Moses is, "Okay, you have to go to Egypt, right? Like, how does God see here? Uh, how is He aware, and how does He come down? He comes down through." Through people like you and I, hearing what he hears, seeing what he sees, becoming aware of what he is aware of, and then moving towards it rather than away from it. By the way, uh, we love to talk about encounter in charismatic churches. One of the things we love is we love to encounter God. Uh, all of the encounters that people have in the Old Testament and the New Testament are are directly connected to the mission of God. You can never have an encounter without also having a calling. And it's going to, be, it's going to push you towards people that you didn't know uh, you needed to know, uh, maybe people you didn't want to know, maybe people you were not aware of, maybe, maybe things you, you didn't even know were happening. Encounter with God always is connected to mission and connection to the world, especially the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, and those who don't have. That's the, you can't divide them. You can't divide them. And so that's what this story is about. Like this story is about a God who sees, who hears, who's aware, and who comes down. And it's about like God moving against the systems of this world that are, that are oppressing people. That's the kingdom story. But it's not just that either. It's also, it's also that God wants to move against the system that is trapping all of us. God wants to move against the system of sin and death that traps everyone. Like the Exodus story is a foreshadowing of the Jesus story who sets people free from their bondage to sin and death. And this is a good news that's for every person in the room. God wants you to be an instrument of justice, but he also wants you to be free from sin and shame in your own heart. In your own heart. This story is about every single one of us. All of us need to be rescued from our slavery to sin. Everybody here needs to be rescued from the drudgery of building a life without God. Everybody here needs to become a friend of God. And we need need to have God move into our lives uh, so that we don't try to become a Pharaoh who is opposed to God. And the good news for every single person in the room today is that you can be free and you can be free simply by trusting the God who sees and hears is aware and will come down. Like everything that God is up to in Exodus, He is doing in the world through His Son Jesus Christ. One final point here. In the kingdom story, we don't do one or the other. Here's what I mean by one or the other. Uh, some branches of the church make a real dig a real big deal about about systemic injustice. Some branches of the church make a real big deal about uh, things like social justice and, and partnering with the oppressed to see, to see them get their fair share. Other branches of the church make a real big deal about people, quote unquote, getting saved, meeting Jesus and having their sins forgiven. But here at the Vineyard, we want to hang on to both. It's not either or, it's both and. By the way, and here's why it's both and, really quickly, here's why it's both and. Because if we only believe in Exodus as a meta narrative for for salvation apart from justice or making the world right, you get a church that preaches good news but misses so much of what God is doing in the world. You get a church looking forward to heaven with slavery or Jim Crow in its midst. How many of you know that when, when America was still in the business of slavery, uh, those slave owners read the Bible every Sunday. Only, only believing in salvation and freedom from sin in the heart, or believing that the gospel of the kingdom is for some other day and that it isn't for today, it will allow you it will allow you to bypass some people right in your midst. And it will allow you to clog your ears up to the things that God is hearing and blind your eyes to the things that God is seeing. You cannot have a gospel of simply forgiveness without also seeing what is going on in this world around us today. You have to put them together. And then conversely, if you do justice in the world without the good news of salvation in Jesus and freedom from the slavery of sin, You might end up seeing the system, but losing your awareness of your own need. You know, you might see the system, but you might lose your awareness of your own need. Uh, you, you, you 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 might see the God who cares for the masses, but not realize that he really cares about the individual. You might miss the affectionate embrace of the father. You might miss... Your own sin. You might assume that all the problems are out there, right? When instead, a lot of the problems are where? They're in here. They're in here, right? And so here at the the vineyard, we never ever want to preach a gospel of the kingdom that is only out there. And we never want to preach a gospel of the kingdom that's only in here. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. The story of God is in here and out there. If it's true out there, it has to be true in here. And if it's true in here, it has to be true out there. We always want to tie these two things together. This is the good news. And so here's my final word, church. God is looking. He's looking at Campbellsville. He's looking at Taylor County. He's looking at Adair County. He's looking at Marion. He's looking at Green. He's looking at Kentucky. He's looking at America. He's looking at the world And he is seeing, he is hearing, he is aware, and he wants to come down. He wants to come down and he's looking for a partner. You know, you know, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Everyone in here, everyone in here, you know, you all understand that Moses, Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, right? There's also a sense in which every person in here could be a burning bush to the world. You know, if you become a, if you become a person who sees and hears and is aware of the things that God is seeing, hearing and is aware of a uh, week. We could be this. We could be this burning bush in the world. This like what is going on? Right. The world is looking for people who not only who not only have like the words of Jesus in their mouth, but the actions of Jesus in the world. You know, Jesus says, Jesus says to sinners, uh it, Come to me, right? Like the gospel said that Jesus was a friend to sinners. Like, come on, that's us. That's us. And at the same time, the gospel also tells the story of Jesus going into church and what, flipping over the tables. Like, why was Jesus flipping over the tables? Because they had built an economic system that kept people from being able to come in and worship God. They had systemized the thing that the poor were the furthest from God. When when God's heart was always that his house would be a house of prayer for what? All nations. Like Jesus is embracing the individual, but he's also embracing the herd. Like Jesus receives women and children, Jesus receives sinners, and he also flips over tables. That's the message of the kingdom. That's the message of Exodus. We need a road out. So the message this morning is, can you hear? Can you see? Are you aware? Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you are on the worship band this morning, why don't you come on up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.